Hey guys, Lexi here, travel enthusiast, lover of puns, pizza and wine connoisseur, and founder of the PR Bar Inc. And you're tuning in to the Pitchin' and Sippin' podcast. From behind the scenes interviews with the media, to honest conversations with other PR pros, to a look at inspiring brands and entrepreneurs that are rocking the world of PR. In this podcast, we talk tips while taking sips and talking about all the things that make those in the world of PR tick. Let's get started. Today, we're talking with Georgia McKinney, the inventor and founder of Flight Fillow, the reinvented travel pillow. Georgia works a full-time corporate job during the day and works to change the way people travel on nights and weekends. Entrepreneurship was never actually the goal for Georgia. She was simply solving her own frustrations when she came up with the idea for Flight Fellow. Since launching in 2018, she has been doing her own PR, landing press opportunities with WGN, Business Insider, MSN, and many others. In today's episode, we get into Georgia's founder story, what PR wins do and do not move the needle. She shares what PR win actually sold out her online store, and she takes us behind the scenes of the interview process of the popular TV show Shark Tank. I have personally had the pleasure of working with Georgia through the PR bar, and I could not be more freaking proud to see all that she has been able to accomplish in the world of PR. So get ready to listen to a truly newsworthy founder, and let's get started. So Georgia is actually someone that once upon a time before I went full-time with the PR bar, I literally stalked the heck out of on Instagram, slid into her DMs, and begged her to work with me because I thought she and her product were so smart and truly suited for great PR. And no, I'm not joking. That's actually what happened. So (laughs) Georgia, we're going to talk about your company soon, but first tell us about life outside of work. What makes you so cool? At least in my eyes. No, you are cool. What do you like to do? (laughs) Um, Well, I like to travel, which is kind of like where the whole idea and everything started. I have a scratch off map of the world. So the goal is to scratch off (laughs) all the countries. Um, I am a big Netflix fan, currently binge watching Grey's Anatomy. Um, and I like to try new drinks. So usually on the weekends, we like go to the liquor store and I'm just like picking up some weird stuff and just trying them out. So like this past weekend, I tried pickle beer, which is like pickle juice mixed with like, I think an IPA had never heard of it before, but I came across it and I was like, I like pickles and I like beer. So let's try it together. (laughs) And, um, that's kind of what I do on the weekends. (laughs) Okay. You, I was... I was interviewed yesterday and someone asked me what my passions are. And I literally said, I like travel. I like beverages. And then if I'm not doing that, then I am Netflix binging. So you quite literally just summarized (laughs) my life. Where is your favorite place that you've ever been or top three? Cause I know it can be hard. Oh, top three. I would say Japan is definitely one of them. Uh, just cause everything is so different, um, that you definitely know that you're not in the U S anymore. And you just, everywhere you go is a new experience. So that's number one. 
Um, I really loved Germany. Um, their food is amazing. I went there for Oktoberfest last year and was supposed to be there again, like this past week for Oktoberfest again. So if that says anything that I was willing to do like back to back, um, <laughs> I love Germany and, um, Greece was really fun too. So have not done Japan, done Germany. It is one of my favorite countries, but October list is still on my bucket list. And then Greece was my honeymoon. So obviously oh, that was nice. Where phenomenal. in Greece did you guys go? We did Mykonos, then an island called Peros. And then of course we did uh, Santorini. And then we did one night in Athens, which That's actually really cool. Athens was cooler. I thought it would be some big, ugly, dirty city. It actually was it exceeded my expectations. Yes, but Santorini is definitely so romantic. So, oh my, and we went all out because it was our honeymoon. So, mm-hmm. we had that honey fund funding to help us get oh, a really nice, nice roommate. Yeah, it was. Did you guys do amazing. that um, dinner in the sky that they had there? Um, we stayed at a, I don't know what that one is, where we stayed, had a pretty exclusive, only two diners allowed, like rooftop sunset. So oh, I don't think beautiful. I don't I don't know if I know what you're talking about. No, it's like they you sit at a dinner table and it's like a pretty big dinner table. So I didn't do this. I didn't have the guts to do it this time. But next time I totally will. So you like so it's you and probably maybe 12 people total. And then they like take a crane and they lift like the chairs and the table up in the sky. Um, I think you're like 100 feet up or something. So you are literally like eating your dinner. It's like very high up in the air and you're just kind of like hanging there. But yeah. So how did I, I not know of this? I'm so mad. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I saw it in Greece and I had thought about trying it and I didn't have the, the guts to do that. Um, but I've been thinking about it since it's been like four years and I'm like, okay, next time I'm going to do it. Next time. Okay. I might have to add that to my bucket list. I've yes. literally never heard of that. And okay. So real quick. Let's, because I could actually talk about travel for hours. How does this passion of travel tell us the story of what Flight Fillow is and how that came to be? Yeah, so Flight Fillow is the reinvented travel pillow. Um, it fits in your pocket, it's machine washable, and you can use any sweater you want. Essentially, you can take any sweater, jacket, um, or hoodie, you roll it up, you put it inside the Flight Fillow, and it turns it into a neck pillow. So I came up with this idea because I love to travel and I was going on a trip to New York, which is only like a two hour flight from Chicago. And it was just for the weekend. So I opted to leave my neck pillow at home. So I love the comfort of the neck pillow. I just didn't want the inconvenience of having to carry it around the airport or using up the space in my luggage. And so I left it at home, but when I was on the flight flying basic economy, so like pretty uncomfortable, um, (laughs) I had regrets. So in desperation, I took my sweater and I rolled it up. um, And I found that if I rolled it a certain way, it felt the same as my regular neck pillow. But then if I moved at all, if I like moved in my seat to get comfortable, or if I got up to let someone out of their seat, um, I had to start all over again. So I kept thinking to myself, if only I had something to hold my sweater just like this, it would be perfect. And so that's kind of where the idea came from. And so I came home from that trip and I was just so excited about the idea that I went into Joanne Fabrics to try to like get the material to sew it at home. 
and I didn't even know where to start. So I ordered the fabric and feet um, and quickly found out that was not right because the sales associate was like struggling to convert feet into yards. <laughs> so oh, I was like, right, right. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, I did this wrong. Um, but I was just like so excited about it. And so then I got the fabric. I worked with my dad to like sew a prototype because I had no idea how to work a sewing machine. Um, and then I got the prototype and I started using it just for myself. Like I was very happy with just the prototype. Um, it didn't have a name. I just kept calling it my invention. And um, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I took an entrepreneurship class in college. I told everyone it wasn't for me. I'm a total corporate girl. But um, I found that when I was using my own prototype, people were asking me about it. My friends, my family, strangers on airplanes, a lot of people wanted it. So that's when I realized that my own personal like frustration with traveling of wanting the comfort of a neck pillow, but hating to carry it around wasn't just a Georgia thing. A lot of people had that frustration. So that's when I decided to bring Flight Fellow to market and to patent the product. No, it's not just a Georgia thing. I mean, <laughs> here I am stalking Instagram, thinking you're so cool and begging you to work with me. So it's far <laughs> more than just a Georgia thing. It's a it's a real issue. So you you mentioned real quick, you never thought you would be an entrepreneur. You're more mm-hmm. of a corporate girl. Tell us what was, we'll come back to Flight Fellow, but what did you do before Flight Fellow? What's your background in? Yeah. So um, before Flight Fellow, I had just recently graduated from college um, and I was working a full-time corporate job and I still am. So that hasn't changed. I still work a demanding corporate job. Um, Probably like more from like, I want to say like nine to five, but that's not realistic at all. I swear it's like seven to seven. So I work a demanding full-time job and I work on Flight Fellow on nights and weekends. Insane. So what is the corporate job? What kind of, are you in marketing? Are you in sales? Oh, are you no. in- I am a contract negotiator. So I'm a contract negotiator for a large um, defense company. And so that's what I do. I negotiate um, multi-billion dollar contracts. So badass. And I remember that's <laughs> why I kept probing because I wanted everyone to hear that. Um, I mean, you're, so one of the many reasons I wanted to invite you an interview as a guest on this show is I feel like you truly are such a great example of a what a founder can do themselves and what PR can and cannot do for a business. Because mm-hmm. I know you've had success, but you've also um, been privy to some things that happen behind the doors of even the top PR agencies in the world, which is rejection. So if you're up for it, I'd actually love to start talking about the not so fun side of PR. So maybe talk us through some of the less than successful moments you've had while DIYing PR. Yeah. So I, I've definitely been learning as I go. And so a lot of the times that I'm learning, it's because something didn't work out and I'm like, okay, I won't do that again. So one of the first things that I started doing and realizing was, um, pay to play. So when I was, first like pitching different outlets, um, I would get like, yeah, we could feature you for like X amount of dollars. And at first that was all I was running into. So I thought that was the only way to get your name out there. I didn't realize that if you're going with like a legitimate resource, that you probably don't have to pay. 
So I started paying um, to play and I didn't really see results at all. Like not nothing in sales. And so that sucked because they spent money and I got my hopes up and, you know, it released and I just waited and waited and kept refreshing my computer screen and nothing happened. So that is probably a big lesson. Another one is when I'm pitching people, a lot of times I don't hear back. Um, And something that you actually helped me with, Lexi, was you said that it was like, okay, to follow up with people, because I was thinking if I followed up with someone, or actually, I was thinking if I emailed them, and they didn't get back to me, they probably just weren't interested. Um, But you gave me like permission, (laughs) basically to follow up. So um, I think you and I actually worked together on like, you gave me a sample of what I could use as follow up language. So I started following up with people that I had sent pitches to. And I actually had a pretty high conversion rate from those follow-ups. I would say probably almost 50% of the people that didn't respond to me initially um, responded to my follow-ups. So that was a, a lesson. Um, so it, I don't think I've been rejected too many times um, as much as just ghosted. <laughs> Chris, yeah, crickets, ghosted. Yes, that, yeah. that is the most common common thing. I have, I if I could, I just want everyone listening to this podcast to know right here and now. I don't care who you are. I don't care what PR firm, if you're spending $100,000 on this PR firm, that PR firm is also hearing crickets. When you're going after these organic placements, which you talked about pay for plays, there's a difference and we'll talk about that. When it's organic and crickets, it's just kind of the name of the game. So let's let's kind of transition over. So you, you learned pay for plays aren't that great. Boy, do I have opinions on that. I will save that for now. Um, I agree with you is the short answer. Um, That being said, let's talk about the winning side. Have you ever had any successful, more organic placements that you have seen move the needle? Yes. Um, And that is just probably one of the biggest motivating factors of my business actually is when PR has been successful. So probably starting out, I would say my first like success, organic success was with, with a business insider. So I actually didn't pitch business insider. Um, so I, I wasn't expecting anything to come out and there was a couple days when I just had this spike in sales. And usually if I have a spike in sales, like I know why, like I'm running a promotion, something's happening, but there was this, um, there were these couple of days where I just had this random spike and I wasn't really sure what was going on. So I Googled Flightfellow just to see like, what's going on here? And that's when I saw that Business Insider had written an article about travel accessories and Flightfellow was featured. And so that was driving a lot of the um, sales. So that was awesome. And I was really excited. And so that really helped to motivate me to um, continue to pitch more outlets like that. And then shortly after, um, WGN had reached out to me. They saw me on Instagram and they wanted to interview me and bring me onto their morning radio show. And so I went to WGN's radio show and honestly, like I didn't expect a lot to happen because it's, it's radio and I personally don't listen to the radio very often. So I didn't think a lot of people did. And like I was picturing in my head that if people are listening to the radio, they're probably in the car and like not ready to buy. Like you can't just be driving and then hear of this product and 
you're not going to pull over on the side of the highway to make a purchase. So I figured when people got to their destination, they probably would have forgotten about it and that's it. So I went on this radio show. It was a super cool experience. I didn't expect anything to happen. I expected maybe a spike in sales like Business Insider, but I had very low expectations. And that day officially like changed Flight Fellow um, just because I got off air. I didn't even make it out of the building yet. So this is like less than 10 minutes. And I opened the app and just saw so many sales, like way more sales than like an entire like holiday season. And then I'm heading home and I keep checking the app and it just kept going and going for the rest of the day. And for like days after I was getting so many emails from listeners that said, Hey, like I heard you on WGN. It was amazing. And in less than five days, Flightfellow completely sold out of products. And I never imagined that to happen. So that moment like definitely showed me the power of PR. And it was also just like very reassuring that like I have a product that people want. Like if people are hearing me on the radio just for a few minutes and now I'm sold out, like whoa, okay. Um, So it was definitely like proof of concept. It gave me that confidence that I need. It definitely gave me that drive to like go out there and try to get more of these opportunities. And it's crazy because I didn't pay anything for WGN. I paid for like, I paid to play for some other ones and nothing happened. But then for WGN, that was completely organic. It was free for me and we sold out. So I have goose. So I obviously know this story, but our listeners don't. I Having already known the story, I still get goosebumps (laughs) and it makes my PR heart so happy because PR does not always work. But when it does, it is the biggest ROI. You said it yourself. You spent $0. So everything Mm -hmm. you received was a return. So have you reflected back at all on you know, let's actually break down that opportunity a little more. What was it that, what was the format of the interview? Was, were you storytelling? Were you just talking about your product? Walk us through what that was like. Um, yeah. So essentially I walked um, into the radio show and they just wanted to really like get to know me. So I think more of the story wasn't as much of the product as it was Um, behind the scenes so that I work a full-time job and that I'm doing this on the side. Um, And then they also wanted to hear about like different experiences. So they wanted to hear like, how did I decide what I was going to price like flight fellows at? And then they also wanted to know about Shark Tank. So I had um, auditioned for Shark Tank and made it to the third round of auditions. So they wanted to hear a little bit about that as well. So it wasn't specifically about the product. Um, It was more of like the story behind it, which I think is really powerful too, because when I first launched Flight Fellow, I thought that people want to buy from big companies. So I had the fake it till you make it mentality where I didn't like show behind the scenes. I didn't like, I didn't make it very obvious that it was like a one woman show, show putting this on. Um, when I would post on social media and stuff, I'd be like, we blah, 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 blah. When really I could say I, <laughs> right. um, things like that. I just wanted to make it seem like I was an established company that I knew what I was doing. And 
um, experiences like WGN and even just kind of being more transparent on social media really showed me that people want to buy from like the person. They want to know when they're buying. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think people want to actually support like the really big companies. Like that's not appealing to them when they hear the story behind the scenes and they have an image of who it is that they're supporting. Um, that just makes it so much more special. And so, um, but since that, since that time and learning about this, I've definitely have shown a lot more behind the scenes. Um, I call it like being more vulnerable. I think it's kind of awkward sometimes putting yourself out there um, because I feel like if people don't know who I am, if someone told me they hated Flight Fellow, then I'd be like, okay, well, you hate Flight Fellow. But if I put myself out there and they know all about me and behind the scenes and then they say they hate Flight Fellow, then it's easier for me to take it personally. And so I call it being more vulnerable, but I've seen such a return on investment for that, that I'm willing to take that risk and like to put myself out there um, just because it's been way more beneficial than anything else. You just gave me my legitimate second (laughs) set of goosebumps of the show because everything you're saying, I actually, not only as a PR professional, but as a business owner can relate to that in my my own journey, right? When I spent 10 years representing other brands and I was able to hide behind other brands. So when I didn't mm-hmm. hear back or there was a rejection, I could, you know, compartmentalize that as, oh, it's it's not fully me. Now with my own brand, when I step up and I'm vulnerable, it's it, it it's hard to not think of it as a personal rejection. So thank you mm-hmm. for calling out and anyone listening, that's so normal. Um, to feel that way. Here are two founders you're hearing right now who have felt that way. So it sounds like you shared a lot of your founder story, which is amazing. So people were connecting with you and people buy from people. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned Shark Tank. I think you and I are two of a very small percentage of people that understand that world behind the scenes, I would love for you to enlighten the audience on what it was like. How did you apply to Shark Tank? How did you, uh, what is that even, I'll let you take it from here. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Shark Tank has been one of my favorite shows since high school. Um, So well before I ever thought that I would be an entrepreneur or have a business or any possibility of me being on the show itself. I just love the show in general. And so when I came up with this idea for Flight Fellow and decided to bring it to market and things were actually happening with it, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, like I love Shark Tank. And I was actually watching Shark Tank to to learn some stuff about my business because you get feedback from the sharks and hear what's been successful from other small businesses. So I was really watching it more as like homework for myself. But then, you know, I got the idea like, maybe I'll apply. So I Googled, you know, how to apply for, for Shark Tank. And um, I found this email address for their casting team because the casting season was like closed when I decided to email them. And I think this was in October or November. So I sent them an email with just a pitch. Um, and you know what? I heard cricket. So I didn't think anything happened from it. And then it was around uh, January or February, around that time frame, that I got an email back and they were saying, like, hey, like, thank you for reaching out. Like, can you fill out this questionnaire? So it was a link. And so I went in and I filled out like this online application and then crickets again, didn't hear anything. Um, 
So then I'm at my corporate job one day and I get this email from an actual person um, with Shark Tank and their casting team. And they said, hey, I would love to have an interview with you um, about Shark Tank. Like, are you available in 30 minutes? And How long was that time gap, by the way, between the crickets and the first um, when you actually heard? A couple months. A solid okay. couple months. It's good so to we're hear. Now, we're now like in April. So um, yeah, I got this email and they asked if they could have a phone interview with me in 30 minutes. And I had pictured like oh. if I made it to this phone interview round that I was going to be so prepared. I was going to have all these notes in front of me because it's a phone interview and they can't see that. And I just, it, I didn't think I would only have 30 minutes notice and I was at my corporate job. So it's not like I could even go home to get ready. So I said yes, because I'm not going to say no to Shark Tank. And I did this phone interview in my car. Oh my God. I was just so nervous and I, I just didn't want to blow it. And so we had the phone interview and on the phone, he tells me that I'm, I made it to the next round. So now I get to go to the third round and he tells me that I'm going to make a video and like a, a video edition, um, where I'm pitching the producers and that it has to be five to 10 minutes and that they need to receive it physically on a USB with samples of my product in seven days. And so I like kind of backwards track this and I was like, all right, if you need it in seven days and it's going to take like three days for shipping, that means I have four days to film a video and edit it. And I don't even know what I'm going to say. So I was panicking. So I went home early from work that day (laughs) so I could try to brainstorm. And I, I, they also tell you that you can't tell anybody about it. So you are, after you make it past this phone interview section, I wanted to like, one, I wanted to tell the world because I was pretty darn proud of myself. Second of all, I wanted to tell everyone so I could ask for help, like SOS, I need help, please help me, but you can't tell anyone. So my boyfriend and my best friends and my brother, they were the only ones I told so they could help me with the video. Um, And so I remember I gave myself like three days. Well, actually, I had four days. The first day was just panicking. Wasn't very productive. <laughs> but understandable for sure. Yes. Um, so then the second day, I just they gave they give you a list of questions that they want you to answer during the video. And I at first you think that's pretty easy, but I started writing out all of my answers to the questions and realized there's like no way that's gonna fit in a 10-minute video or be like the slightest bit interesting. So I spent the first day like writing, just like brain dumping the answers to the questions. The second day is when we started filming. Um, and I try to just film a lot of different clips, answering the questions in a ton of different ways. And then the third day, which is video editing, uh, trying to figure out how can I make this interesting to watch this 10 minute video, not boring and answer all the questions that they want me to, to say. And so that's what we did. And I submitted it. Um, and I shipped it overnight because I was very scared of it getting lost in the mail. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was the process. Um, about a month later, I didn't hear back. So I followed up with them and he was very kind and just let me know that I didn't make it to the next round. And the next round would have been a live pitch to the producers. Well, first off, congratulations. Trust me. I mean, thousands and thousands of people apply to that show and never, never even get it past 
the first round. So that is a huge accomplishment. I know it's a, it's a bummer. You didn't make it on air, but um, I still think that's such a huge, huge win. So kudos to you. (laughs) And on that 10 minute mark, just for anyone listening who is a Shark Tank fan, by the way, when you're on the show, Shark Tank doing your pitch, it's like 45 minutes. So Mm -hmm. you're watching back an edited version. So for them to ask you to basically provide an edited version of what really is a 45 minute pitch, that's, that's a tall, tall ask for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I have no video editing skills. Um, so I totally thought if I would make it on the, or if I would make it to that round that I would have had time to hire someone to help me with this video. No time to do that. So I had my brother who was in high school at the time, help me out. And, uh, yeah, so he, he definitely came in and was so helpful with that. I have no idea what I would have done without him, but even then, like it's, it wasn't what I had envisioned. None of the process is what I had envisioned. I had envisioned a lot more planning, a lot more um, thought to things, but um, I, I read a lot of books from the sharks and I found out that they do a lot of that on purpose. If they don't give you time to prepare and they put you in the spot, that's when they get the best um, content. Yeah. It's a lot of hurry up and wait. And mm-hmm. while I know, I almost think Thank you for sharing that because now for anyone listening, they have a little bit more an idea of what they can expect if they're going through the process. So, you know, start thinking about video and B-roll before you even apply. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like a wise decision. So bringing it back to overall PR, you have decided to embark on the DIY PR journey. Yeah. For any founder listening who that even concept sounds so far off, where does one even start? What is the first thing you should do to quote unquote DIY PR? Well, the first thing that I do is um, I, I use Trello and in Trello, I have a bunch of different like templates. So when I first started DIY PR, I really wanted just like one template that I could send to everybody. And I tried it, um, but I know that doesn't work. And actually being on the receiving end of some of those has really shown me that because as a, as a business owner, we get pitched a lot too for various services. And sometimes I open an email and I just know that it's like very like generic. They're probably sending a thousand of these a day. Sometimes I don't even finish reading it and I definitely don't reply to those. But then when I get pitched as a business owner and I can tell it was personalized and someone did research, um, even if I'm not interested, I at least respond because I know it's a human on the other other end. And so I took that like lesson and have put that into my pitches. Now, I still try to do some form of a template so I don't have to reinvent the wheel and think from scratch every time. So I have probably at least a dozen different templates. Like, okay, is it a gift guide? Am I trying to um, pitch Flight Fellow for plane travel? Am I trying to pitch Flight Fellow for road trips? Am I trying to pitch it for camping? Um, So I have a few different things. Um, I have a post-pandemic travel one right now um, where I really focus on how Flight Fellow is washable. You can wash it in between each of your flights and have a clean start or that you don't have to put it on the outside of your suitcase. It can fit in your backpack or your pocket so you don't have to worry about what your Flight Fellow is touching before it touches your face. 
So um, I have a bunch of different templates, but even when I do go to pitch, I personalize it. I try to find out their name. If I can find out the company, I do some research. I find an article that I'm interested in. I try to do at least minimal research um, so they can open it and know that it's not a robot that is sending mass emails. Um, I use Haro, which is help a reporter out. I browse it every single day. Um, and I just go for, I just see like, what are things that are applicable that I'm interested in? And then I send my pitches. Um, usually, so I get three um, emails from them a day. And usually in the evenings, I'll sit down and then I'll send out pitches to relevant um, queries. And most of the time I don't hear back, which is just, it's very normal. Um, I'd probably say maybe like one out of 15 I hear back, um, but it's helped a lot. Um, and when I first started, I was only getting featured in like really small publications, um, like bloggers and stuff, which I know a lot of people say that they just want to aim really high and get for the name brand ones. But getting a lot, getting a handful of bloggers to blog about it has helped too, because you kind of get this credibility under your wing. So when I'm pitching the higher ones, I can say that we were featured in multiple publications, right. um, stuff like that. And then it helps too, because if somebody else is Googling, so let's say I pitch um, Business Insider and then they see the name, if they Google Flight Fellow, they'll see that like a bunch of other people have written about it too. And I think that really helps because people want to like write about something that other people are excited about. So you are a star student. I'm just beaming over here. I, <laughs> I second everything she just said. It is 100% quality over quantity. We can also drop the link to Haro in the notes. It is a free service. If you guys want to learn more about that, reach out to me or stock my website. I have articles on it. That being said, Georgia, we've talked about pitching. This is the Pitchin' and Sippin' podcast. You briefly told, that, told us that was one of your passions earlier. I want to end by asking you, what are you sipping? What is your favorite <laughs> beverage? It can be alcoholic well, or non-alcoholic. Right now. Oh my God, I, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so she showed we're on camera, so I just thought, yes. sorry, what are you drinking? Tell everyone else. <laughs> um, a truly strawberry lemonade. Um, so it's like... Um, it's kind of like your seltzer waters that everybody's into, but they have the lemonade version. And so my little brother, he, um, he told me about it. And so I was like, Oh, okay, I'll give it a try. Um, I don't really like truly just like itself, but I like the lemonade. So. Okay. That's interesting because since we're talking about seltzers real quick, I like, I'm very specific. I like black cherry, white claw. I like mango bud light seltzer. I haven't found a truly flavor yet. So you said uh -huh. strawberry lemonade? Yes. And I tried the lemonade one the other day and it was like a very bitter lemonade, which I, I actually kind of liked. Um, but it makes sense because it's low carb and low sugar. So they can't throw a bunch of sugar into it. Right. You know? um, but have you tried ranch water before? No. What's okay, that? So I just moved to Texas and it's kind of a big one in Texas. And so it's your sparkling water and they put tequila in it instead of vodka. And then they um, sweeten it with agave. 
And so I tried it yesterday for the first time. And it's kind of interesting. Um, it definitely gave me way more of a buzz than a regular truly does. I think it's because I'm just weak sauce and the tequila like got me more than vodka does. <laughs> but it was definitely interesting. So I would try that if you can find that around. Wait, what's you. it called again? It's called ranch water. Ranch water. I'm 100% writing that down. And on that note, you know, we're, we're coming to, we're out of time here. So I just want to thank you for, for hopping on here today and sharing with us your experience, the good, the bad, the reality of it all. Um, the last thing I want to end with is if people want to learn more about Flight Fellow, where can they go? Um, they can go to www.flightfellow.com. We are also available on Amazon Prime and you can follow me on Instagram to see all the behind the scenes because I'm very um, vulnerable now. <laughs> and um, that's just at Flight Fillow. And it's Fillow, F-I-L-L-O-W, like a fillable, fillable pillow. Perfect. Thank you so much, Georgia. Thank you. Hey guys, if you are enjoying the Pitchin' and Sippin' podcast, please do me a huge favor and leave a review wherever you are listening. If you want to connect with me to learn more about the PR Bar Inc., you can do so on Instagram at theprbar underscore inc., or you can check out my website at theprbarinc.com. Cheers! Cheers!